Hi everyone, welcome to Ale of a Time. Uh, Luke here. This week we're joined by the team from Exit Brewing. We've got Mon- Monica Callanan, uh, Grum Knight and Fraser Retty all over Zoom. Uh, we had a few technical problems at the start, so we're going to join this a little bit into the conversation where Monica's telling us a little bit about her, her background, where she was working with Kaiju before jumping over to Exit. Uh, the, the two breweries share a brewery if that makes sense so yeah she talks talks a little bit about that and and the rebrand as well uh exit have just gone on undergone a rebrand so we're going to explore kind of how that happens and all the positive and negative things that, that come with doing something like that uh it's a really good chat and thanks thanks a lot to the team from exit for joining us and yeah we'll see you in a, a fortnight's time with a, a different chat cheers Yeah, when I came across, I mean, I guess that was kind of my bee in my bonnet was like, we got to change something here because the beers are awesome. Um, we all know that they have a really great following, but for some reason there's always been this, um, you know, they just don't, aren't attractive on the shelf. I don't know if they get lost or if they're just, if they weren't appealing to people, but you know, in, we just weren't getting the sell through that we wanted. So um, you know, the majority of our business actually prior to COVID obviously was tap because, you know, people, they drink it on tap. They think it's amazing, but they go to the bottle shop and they want to buy, you know, the cool, quirky, whatever one next to it. So, and I think, you know, yes, anyway, working next to the brand and now in the brand, I guess, yeah, it was my motivation to really help us elevate to the next level. Um, so we kind of started talking about it this time last year and went around in circles and circles and circles as you do. Um, In the end, we landed back on a designer that we worked with previously or the guys worked with previously before I was around Lauren Bonkowski. um, And she had done, you know, she's, she's a, um, a booze packaging specialist. That's what she does. So that's been really helpful actually um, because she sees things completely different than within we do. And we might have ideas and then she comes back and says, guys, that's just not going to translate or whatever. So anyway, yeah. So she's, she, um, you know, she's done pirate life. She's done maiden eye, which is like a, a local vermouth. She has her own business marionette, which is a spirits liqueur company with some other guys. Anyway, Great chick. So yeah, we kind of gave her a very specific, not so brief brief about where we wanted to go because we were quite clear in that. But again, even with that, it's evolved over the last, when did we start that, I guess? Uh, about three years ago. Unfortunately, like. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> being COVID, you know, we had the time. Like we literally yeah. had the time. <laughs> so it's been a really good opportunity to do this, but I think that's also caused us to just overthink everything and just get way too in our heads about it because we have had so much time, but you know, in the end, um, we're pretty happy with it. It's still very much a work in progress. I will say, um, and I think we launched with the IPA and the double IPA specifically because both of those needed to be rebrewed. It was time. We hadn't, um, had them out in quite a while. The IPA, the double IPA hadn't been out since this time last year. So they were definitely ready. And also um, 
we've been ranged in first choice in Victoria. So that was kind of the catalyst. Like, okay, they didn't care which branding we did, but we thought if we're going to do this, let's do it and time it for that. So that's what's interesting is because I think people are now looking at the two cans that have come out. They're two different greens. I think everyone's kind of thinking in their head that maybe we're, we're just like going to be green, green, green. Exit's going to be just green. But it's definitely not the case. Um, I think our next release is actually going to be a new addition to the range next month already. It'll be a mid-strength. And that will be completely different again, different color. Same branding, same concept, same look, just different yeah. colors. So we'll keep through the, through the rest of the range, we'll keep the color scheme. So pale will still be blue um, and amber will still be amber. Amber. <laughs> I, I, I do quite like this green as well. Like it's not a... It's not super common on, on beer labels. Um, you know, you, when you see people doing sort of color blocking and stuff, it's white and then, you know, Bolter, obviously, um, or Wolf of the Willows, where they kind of have bold colors. But I haven't really seen this kind of green used. And with, you know, I guess similar to color blocking, since you're going to use different lines, the lines are going to change. Is that as well? Is that? Yeah. 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 So yeah. It, depending on what the, yeah. So they might be, um, yeah, a, a variation of that of the color of the can, or they might be completely different. Like in the in the case of the Sessionelle that's coming out, you know, I think we're even talking about blue and pink. We'll see. I mean, that's the plan so far. But yeah. Right. So anyway, we really wanted to um, pare it back a bit, just make it easy to read on the shelf, not make it too complicated. You know, exit. Um, we're simple people. It's all about the beer for us. It's not necessarily about creating an elaborate story or an elaborate, um, you know, we're not quirky, we're not artistic. So it was kind of one of those things where we didn't want to, we didn't want to fake it. We just really want it to be about the beer and we want it to be appealing enough where people see it on a shelf and think, yeah, I want to hold that in my hand or I want that in my fridge. Um, but we didn't want it to be too polarizing either. So like not trying to cater to the 18 year olds and not trying to just leave it to the 45 year olds. It's, it's think, really, oh, you go. Sorry, Graham. I was just going to say, um, I think the thing is we'd never really done any kind of branding before, apart from we sort of made stuff up ourselves. We went to 99 designs to get the, um, the original, um, exit, um, Logo. Logo. Um, and we'd use that and phrase a lot of the design work for the, um, the very plain labels uh, and we'd just print them themselves. And so uh, it was yeah, from the start about the beer and we've worked out, well, we should, probably should have worked out quite a bit earlier, that as the market's changed over the past seven years or so, um, marketing and branding play, plays a big role in getting people to pick up um, your beer when the shelf is full of so many variations. So... It's something we needed to do and it's long to get there. So. Mm. It's interesting. We talked about last week with Akasha that um, you know, the difference between brands and it's kind of cool to hear you say that, you know, your brand isn't artistic or, or you know, um, we talked about Garage Project being the extreme example where, you know, what works for Garage Project doesn't work for Exit, you know, and trying to do that. Um, and I think, you know, seeing sort of some of the criticism online, I think people expect insanely artistic labels but to just put something on the shelf you, you know it needs to be recognizable and I think that does the trick yeah and that was I think one of the letdowns of the previous um design was it didn't say exit anywhere on the tin yeah and so and the and the style was at the bottom which is all, often covered up yeah, there you go by mm. the on the shelf you know there'll be a lip with the pricing so 
you know, unless you were intimately, you know, unless you knew our brand really well and you knew green meant IPA, which, you know, most of the people that do love exit and have been drinking exit for years know they like the purple can, the green can, the blue can, whatever. But if you're new to exit, and I mean, as we've seen, this industry has just blown up since we started in 2014. I mean, it's not even recognizable anymore. And it's so much bigger and so many more consumers. So yeah, you need to give them a bit more information. So yeah, we tried to dumb it down a bit um, and, you know, simplify things. So each of the ones will have four different descriptors. Just keep it really simple. So when people pick it up, if they're new to the style or new to us, they'll be like, okay, you know, I can identify with those. Um, yeah, but I know I, I, some of the feedback has been quite interesting. And, you know, people are like, what happened to the guy? And it was like, you know, it's all nostalgia. Like, you know, so, I mean, because we used to get really interesting commentary about his name is Lassa, which Lassa has been retired to a lovely, beautiful tropical island. But people, you know, we were getting some interesting commentary about, like, again, people that didn't know Exit or the history of Exit or didn't know like where he came from people like who is this geometric figure with a stick coming out of his bum or you know like some people thought it was the eye but the head was in the wrong or the dot was in the wrong place you know it was just so again like we had a lot of commentary now then we had a lot of commentary now it's kind of you're not going to please everyone it's kind we weren't trying to please everyone either it just yeah it is what it is i think it's it's i think it's been a really interesting exercise because i've never done a full rebrand before um, and I, especially in the, in the beer industry, cause I come from wine, which is just a very different mentality. So beer, I feel like everyone feels that they are entitled to their opinion. They all feel that they're educated enough <laughs> about this. They all feel that they can, you know, and the people that are online are really vocal. I mean, really vocal. So it's, yeah, it's been interesting, but. How much of that are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the first weekend it came out, I stupidly, stupidly, this phrase, I didn't listen to phrase, phrase goes, don't go on beer thread. Don't I, I saw phrase in the comments of beer thread. I know yeah. he was there. He said, I, I, don't, don't, I don't think I was. Like, oh, I okay. deliberately, no, I, I think, no, I was on West Side. I went, okay. to West, I went to West Side, but no, no, no. I, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, yeah, but Fraze said, Mon, whatever you do, don't do it. So, of course, what did I do? And we were on, Fraze was hosting a call for Out Gang. And I'd had way too many beers by the time I even logged in for that. <laughs> and I was reading beer thread during the thing. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> like I'm over the, I was about to quit my job, quit the industry, like <laughs> never wanted to drink beer again. And then the next day I was like, you know what? That's a very minute. That's like a sliver of a sliver of a sliver of the industry. So I'm just going to leave it alone. It's Maybe I should listen to the Fraser once a year or something <laughs> like that. And when he actually says, ignore people like that and just take it at that. You know? So, so yeah. you learn a valuable lesson. It is sometimes important to listen to me. Not all the time, but just occasionally yeah. I come up with a joke. I will never, ever not listen to you again, Bruce. <laughs> I, I, I did read through it all. Um, and I knew it would get some negative. Um, Look, if you want to look at it in some ways, a positive. Um, even though a lot of people didn't particularly like it, most people still said better than the other one. Which um, we actually got a lot of hate for the previous branding. And we got we got a few people love it, and they go, oh, "We love it. Why would you change that?" Um, but very, yeah, very much was like, "Oh, it's not, it's maybe not what they wanted or expected or something." I don't know. Um, yeah, they said still better. And, my, and then a lot of people just said, yeah, but it's great. So end of the day, it's really what we're producing. So Yeah. It is interesting. Like I know we, when Hargreaves Hill rebranded, uh, we talked about how we weren't 
we didn't really love the rebrand that they did. Um, it was a couple of years ago now. But now, in hindsight, looking at it, it makes sense for their brand as a as the core range and then seeing their, their limited releases come out quite colourful. It just kind of makes sense and you kind of forget you forget what happened before it and you forget what it used to look like and now you just see that brand on the shelf and go, oh, yeah. So I think that's what's probably going to happen with everyone else. If they're going to, two years' time, they're not going to f- remember Akasha or Exit of old. They're going to go, I know those bears, that's Exit. Yes. Totally. And that's all we want. Recognizability, you know, just, yeah, familiarity, recognizability. It's not How long do you think it'll take to, um, to know tangibly if it's made traction? I think, I think probably six months to 12 months, I reckon. You know, I mean, you obviously got to get through the thing and you've got to have the range. You know, obviously, we, I think it was a good, a good thing that we released the two cans at the one time because then people see, oh, okay, that... That kind of lends itself to a rebrand because we've had a few, obviously, and we've all, we've always had differences between, say, the one-off beers and then the, um, you know, obviously the core beers. So, if we'd have just released the IPA by itself, it probably would have people would have thought, ah, oh, this is just maybe another exit one-off, you know, or beer or sort of thing. Another exit label, yeah. Yeah, and then so <laughs> so yeah. having the two, I think people realise, oh, okay, it, it's brought it forward to people's minds. Okay, well, this is the way it's going to go. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think, look, we'll, we'll see how it goes in sales wise, but I mean, look from, from our perspective and, uh, I mean, look, I'm, I'm one of these people. I, I loved our previous branding. Like I, I personally love, absolutely love this can. I absolutely love the can. Um, and I've, li- I've liked all of our labels or whatever, but at some point in time, you know, you have to realize and you have to listen to people, you know, as, as Monica said, you know, if you, if you're getting, you know, retailers like, say, First Choice or whether it's Coles, BWS, whatever, Woolworths. Um, but even, even obviously, the, your general um, smaller uh, retailers, if they're saying to you that, look, we love your beers, they're great, but people aren't seeing them on the shelves and they don't, and they don't know, then it, it, becomes, it becomes a thing of like, well, you, you have to listen to that. You know, it, ma- it makes sense. So even if I like one can better than the other, I mean, and look, I love the new branding, by the way. I absolutely love it. But there's only one of these that says exit right on the front straight away mm-hmm. and IPA and nice bright white letters. So it's, you have to look at it in, in that way. It's not about, it's, it's not being entered into a contest to win art. You know, I mean, I love the artistic value of it. I think it's, I think it's a really nice, it's, it essentially, we had a list of things that we wanted to achieve with the redesign, you know, and things like where we wanted a, a warmer, maybe friendlier logo that was something maybe that was, you know, a little bit more feminine tick, you know, that, 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 that's, that was that, definitely, that's that. yeah, that was a big commentary was that the old branding was very masculine and quite harsh. You know. And so being that the team, you know, there's Graham and phrase and then three chicks. So it's, we very much had a strong hand on this. Like, we, de- we wanted it to be more friendly, more approachable, more, not more girly, but just more softer and not so, you know, and so the colors have also been a really, we've been focusing in on that too. Like, so we don't want any black anywhere near any of it. We just want it really a lot softer. Sorry, Fraser, I cut you off. With, with, that, um, with that can that you um, highlighted, Fraser, even if you love that in isolation, mm. um, if you've got a sort of darkish green and on black, yeah, um, a whole bunch of other cans. It's probably mm. easier to just scan right over that. Whereas you get the yeah. nice yeah. um, typeface, and then you're gonna—it's it's really gonna stand out. 
Yeah, and I think the, that, that you're absolutely right, Dave. And, and look, the other thing was, I think when we when we sort of went, you know, with with this one, and you know, Daz um, did a fantastic job with the with the cans and the colours of all those. I, I think what we envisaged at the time was that we would have sort of in retail as stocked, you know, say the the four, five, six cans, whatever, all lined up together. So you would have your exit section. So we've always said that the sum of all of these cans together is much bigger than the, the whole of their parts because it's like you see then the difference. So that draws you in. The problem being that a lot of retailers and, and totally, you know, well, most actually don't stock beers in uh, brand order. It will be style order. So you'll have your pails in one section, your IPAs in another, stouts in another. So because of that, you need to have that thing where you go, okay, so where, what's the exit stout? Oh, there it is. It says exit there on the thing straight away. That's the exit stout sort of comes out. So, because I agree, well. I agree 100%. As lined up in the old branding, it was very striking. Like, it, you know, because all the colors were really well matched, good pantones. It was, you know, I used to call it like taste the rainbow, like the Skittles. It literally was one of each. It was really bright, but as you said, you walk into a beer shop and the IPA is over there and the milk stout's over there and the amber's over there. They're never lined up. And so you can't see that they're even part of a family and you don't know what they are. But anyway. It is is that over, do you think? That kind mm -hmm. of grouped, that grouped branding? Do you think that's done with? I think there's a handful of places that do it. But I think in general, um, shops tend uh, put families up to the crawl. I mean, uh, it does it does make a lot of sense. People go, I feel like an IPA, and they'll go to an IPA section. So, um, yeah, for for a uh, customer and the way they lay out their shops, it makes sense. So, yes, so most of the time, yeah. Um, we've got a question from the comments in the chat there from Zoe. Hi, Zoe. It's good to see you there. Um, and hi, everyone. With all the technical flailing, I forgot to say hi to everyone in the comments. Uh, if you have any questions as well, just, just drop them into the chat and we'll happily get them answered or hopefully get them answered. Um, but there's a question from Zoe about the Saison, which uh, I had earlier this year and I had a couple of older ones that Fray's dropped in as well. And all of them were tasting really, really good. Uh, just, I think, best it's, best it's ever tasted. Um, the fresh one and, and the ones that I think they were about a year old, I think you said, phrase. I think it might have been closer to two even, you yeah, know, right. um, at that at the time. So, because um, I think that would have been the yellow, the bottles. So, that would have, were they, they were the bottles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just a message to breweries if you're bringing me beer, bring me some old stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, always, it's always interesting to me. Um, but yeah, it's the Saison staying on. And I guess, can you sort of talk about, because that was your first beer, how has that evolved over the years? I'll let Graham talk about how it's evolved. I'll tell you where it fits into the range now. So it's been, we've actually relegated. It's not going to be core anymore just because, I mean, unfortunately, like we all love Saison, but it's not really, there's not huge demand for it. So it has been relegated to the limited seasonal release category or limited. And so we're looking at bringing it out again this time next year. So spring 2021. Saison is a tough sale. Um, a lot of people say that. So yeah, that's and that, that is. If like if more people bought it, I'd be more than happy to um, brew it more because I love it. Mm. Um, but yeah, especially in winter, it is. It's far more seasonal. Even the milk stout. Well, we would have thought, you know, being a stout, it wouldn't sell in summer. But the milk stout obviously sells more in winter, but it, it still sells reasonably in summer. Whereas the saison sales just almost completely stop in winter. I think there's about two people who drink saisons in winter. Um, so it just didn't make sense to have it as a core range. Um, as for the, um, the, the development of it, um, it is fairly 
it's fairly similar to the original recipe. Um, being the first commercial beer I did, I did so much um, development on that beer as a, as a small system homebrew kind of setup, um, more than anything else. Um, so, yeah, nailed down everything from doing <clears throat> brews with split batches to different yeast through them. And so, yeah, um, from, from release, I was pretty happy with the um, actual recipe. Um, so that yeah, really changed it. Changes, it gets adjusted slightly. Usually, when you change systems, and the, the um, you brew with a different system, and the outcome can be slightly different. So I, I kind of bring it back to what I want based on that. But that's that's about it, really. Hmm. Uh, yeah, tasting really good. So I'll be looking for it next spring, I guess. It has a great following, um, you know, and it's funny because I do get emails all the time. Like, do you have any saison in stock? When's the saison coming out? I mean, there were comments this week about, okay, great, new branding fab. When's the saison coming out? But I do think it's such a small, yeah, I think it, we're, I, I'm seeing a lot more saisons out in the market. So it's not just La Serene anymore. I feel like a lot of people are releasing saisons and fruit flavored saisons as limiteds. So maybe as the market gets a little bit more educated and a bit more used to them, like we might have a bit more traction. But I mean, at festivals, it's always like, it, I, I find that always an interesting scenario because people come up and it's a fantastic um, festival beer, as you guys would know, drinking it in the sun outside in a garden somewhere. And people come up and they, they can't pronounce it for one, you know. <laughs> at all and so that's another thing we're kind of like okay should we call it a farmhouse ale because is that at least then people aren't put off because they can actually pronounce that i'd be more put off by farmhouse ale but i'm going what the, what the hell are you doing putting farmhouse <laughs> crap in a beer right i know <laughs> when you start when you start using the horse blanket descriptor that should put so, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. But I do think hopefully as the market, you know, there's more and more out there, more and more people will be educated and then we'll, we'll have more reason to bring it out more often. I think when we do our imperial um, whiskey barrel-aged lactose-ridden um, chocolate Double dry version hop. of the uh, Saison, yep. that's, oh. when, that's when it'll start to take oh, off. Right, that'll yeah. Real tickers delight. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> since, I, since I have spoken that sentence, there are now seven other breweries in <laughs> Australia that are currently writing that recipe now as we Right, as you're giving away, a, I know. giving away our trade secrets. Fuck, Mark. I did it again, Grum. Jeez. I like the way you call lactose-ridden. Ridden with <laughs> oh, funny you should say that. I had a Buffalo Trace Barrel Age Saison and it was awful. So mm. uh... <laughs> there, there's no, like I'm normally all, all in for barrel experiments. If you want to play with some unusual flavors, but whiskey or bourbon barrel Saison is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so unnecessary. To kill the I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get other breweries to do it <laughs> so that they'll go, like people will go, what the hell is this? This is I, like, what are these idiots doing? A handful so, of breweries have done it and it's just, it's never worked. It, and it, it won't, like, I don't know why anyone thinks it would. Uh, uh, I, well, maybe because Saison's do actually age really well. Um, mm. So age very well at, at, due to just a natural oxidization and, and aging process. And because they're not a hop forward beer, it's generally the, the fresh hops that cause um, the unpleasant boiling or, and, the, and the lackingness of what the beer was designed to be. Um, but yeah, um, I guess the flavours of a saison are still reasonably subtle and very dry. Mm. So if you try and add a bunch of um, wood to that, um, yeah, it probably overpowers it very quickly. Mm, mm. Yep, keep your whiskey away from those saisons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
gin barrel, I could do that. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that actually, that's a, that's a, yeah. White wine or gin, maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, because um, La Serena does that one. But, Fraze, what about uh, Boilermaker with Saison? Did you guys have one of those on the menu? Yeah, we did. I, you're now going to, thanks for putting me on the spot. I'm oh, sorry. Right? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. And it was, it was actually really good, to be fair. I, I would have remember. to give I would have to give 100% credit to our bar manager Ian because he's got a very good palate and he put all the boilermakers together and I must admit the I will find out for you one day but it's obviously not going to be But it, I, I'm thinking actually so, but it was I'm actually it was, really good it was a good matching one But maybe it was moonshine or something maybe it wasn't whiskey Yeah it was well yeah cuz no it, it, we I think with our um, with our boilermakers we did here I think there was maybe only one whiskey one anyway so there was a lot with like say whether it was gin or you know there might have been a barrel aged vodka one as well and there was di- there was different ones sort of thing with that so yeah so um it definitely what wouldn't have been whiskey with the with the saison no but gin as luke said the a gin barrel uh saison that that's the, the similar characteristics uh, about that i think would they would be really complimentary i think but i can understand a boilermaker like a side-by-side yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of profiles rather than it just ruining a good saison yeah Absolutely. no don't tip yeah. them together yeah. no 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 don't tip them together no i really want to go drink whiskey finally <laughs> um, i had some in my bar here oh hang on <laughs> i do so yeah just uh while you're mentioning the bar phrase um Still, still closed. Obviously, you doing any sort of takeaway out of the bar? Yeah, so we're doing takeaways um, out of uh, out of here, sort of thing. So we just yeah, and essentially an order online thing. So yeah, it's been look, it's been up and down. It's actually been pretty good since we've launched the um, the IPA and the double IPA. That's actually really perked up sales and that sort of thing um, in the last couple of weeks. So um, yeah, look, it's it's tough uh, across obviously for for everybody, and because we're not traditionally a takeaway uh, venue. Um, we don't have a takeaway license, but because of the COVID thing that the government and the local licensing enabled us to have um, a temporary takeaway license. So we've been doing stuff. So at the moment we're doing, we are doing $10 litre per litre across all 12 of our taps um, at the moment. So until because we want to get rid of those before we reopen again, which will hopefully be the week after next, but um, we'll just, yeah, see how that goes. So. Please. Yeah. Dan, Dan, please. <laughs> Will you try and um, apply for a different license? Like, has the takeaways made enough of a difference where you think you might want to go on with it? Or will you just- I de- de- we definitely do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. There's this, this obviously um, process we've got to go through um, with the, the li- like, because Grum's the licensee at the moment. So, Dave, my business, but we, we, we want it. We want to get a, a permanent takeaway license. Um, one of the potential obstacles we've got is that um, uh, we we have a very very good uh, on premises license here. I mean, we, we we actually probably have one of the best licenses for a venue in Richmond um, in terms of we could stay open till three in the morning between Thursday Saturday if we wanted. We're licensed from seven a.m. Um, every day, basically, which is great for Super Bowl for me um, because I can sit in my bar and drink, and drink at nine o'clock in the morning. So you, the, 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 you have to approach these things as well in terms of like, um, because you generally have to give away a bit to get, and, and because the owner of the premises, um, obviously they sell, the license follows whoever, you know, like I said, say essentially we move out at some point in time, someone takes in. One of the attractive things about 
buy, you know, buying into this as a business is because it's got a very good license. So they don't want to compromise necessarily on, you know, although we don't care. I mean, we don't open until 3 a.m. anyway. But I have a question for Phrase and for Luke, because Luke, you guys are working on, with I, I, oh geez, I've only had a single and I'm already bit. IBA? Yeah. Um, Cause the licenses obviously have been, all the venues have been given growler licenses. Do you think yeah. that's something that's going to continue or are those going to be pulled back once we open again? So the, so the license, that's all been extended, hasn't it? To end of January um, for a start. So, you know, th- that's, that's, I think that's really cool. And um, there is some hope that gives me some hope that, that it will be relaxed or changed. Cause I guess for people that aren't familiar, filling without going into the tax details, filling a growler from a tap is, so complicated now um, that you just it's just not worth anyone doing it um, with licensing and tax and but I guess putting my IBA hat on um, I can't say anything officially of course but I know um, Kylie our GM is just on the phone constantly to, to government <laughs> state governments um, she's incredible at pushing state governments and getting you know small small business and IBA agenda across and and that's you know these kinds of things so um and I think that's exactly what we need because I think once you understand rules as they stand and how ridiculous they are yeah um it's you can almost take it and especially with the COVID shutdown and I think all bars are going to have limitations in numbers for you know foreseeable future years um so to yeah to restrict the trade by saying right you can't do off-premise anymore um, it's going to be ridiculous. So I think yeah, I think we need to use that as ammunition. And the IBA is doing a you know, great to hear them on the phone constantly because someone has to get, get through to the politicians, which is not an easy job. Yeah, look, it's, and it's it's challenging, um, you know, from the IBA perspective, where there's so much to do right now across all of the uh, states, and you know, our communication, um, we're sort of working on how we communicate with everyone publicly to let everyone know what we're doing. So yeah, we're I guess we're right there trying to make sure that we're getting it across and, and um, you know, our GM started in March. Um, Oz Bruce News did a really good podcast with her, uh, I think in March or April. Um, so go back and listen to that because she's, yeah, as I said, really, really keen to get on the phone and, and get things done for, for oh, great. these kind of licenses. Mm. All right, I'll stop talking about my uh, sucking up oh, my boss. Sorry, screen. sorry. <laughs> Stay on it briefly for a second. Do you think that without something like COVID, uh, it's real difficult to make changes in that arena. Oh, like, shit, yeah. We all oh, have yeah, yeah, yeah. the benefits of it, but what politician would see yeah. a, uh, an upside relaxing yeah. bulk alcohol takeaway laws? Like, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a great, it's absolutely a great point, Dave, and that's, that actually could be one of the positives that will hopefully come out of, obviously, lockdown and COVID, is that people will recognise, look, this is, this is about legitimate ways to help small businesses um, not only continue but to thrive it will give them you know that mm. that um, a different revenue stream if you like you know that you go there's nothing wrong with this isn't about selling dodgy you know people trying to get extra money about thing or doing this kind of thing you know um, I'd be perfectly comfortable with a situation where you know as I say if we're licensed till 3 a.m if we can only sell takeaways till like 11 p.m. or whatever, I'm, t- I'm totally cool with that. You know, that's that's like that that's and that's not what that's what we're I guess that's what we're looking for. We're looking we we're approaching it as with most businesses as a, a from a sensible thing. It's like we're like we're not wanting to sell. I don't want some. Well, that, Grace, that's the problem. That's your problem right there. Too sensible. Yeah, right. sensible. Approaching from a right. sensible view. Yeah. Come on. 
I know, I know, I know. I should have learned by now. I'm old enough to know that uh, sensibility has no place in the Western world. But uh, <laughs> or Victoria, <laughs> Victoria. Uh, Victoria's all right. This is going to this is going to slide into a, a YouTube uh, stream that we don't want to do. Really <laughs> <quickly>. <laughs> um, um, let's let's move along to Milk Stout because this was kind of. Um, uh, your champion stout at the 2019 neighbours is that it's current, yeah. current reigning current reigning champion stout probably yeah. the longest reigning champion stout yeah there you go writing that one down Luke <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you guys kind of uh, you know looked at I, I saw you know variations on pushing that out there and uh, I'm kind of interested in and I'm so interested in when people win awards and how you then apply that to your, your brand and, you know, how you make sure people know that, hey, if you're buying a stout, this is the best, you know, per, per the judging. Um, how do you do that? Mm. I don't know. Can you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Hypothetical question. Um, yeah. yeah, we've talked about numerous ways how to do that. I don't know, because that is a hard one to educate people on. It's interesting. We've talked about this a lot recently, actually, because we're doing new labels. Um, and you're seeing it, I'm seeing it more in the beer industry now, which I'd be curious to know what people think about. In the wine industry, people like to chuck their trophies and their golds on the bottle. And that's how my mom buys her wine. Like, look how many golds it has. I'm like, mom, did you even read what it says? It just says, like, good wine, you know, in, in, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, yeah. I have seen it on a few labels recently. I think Ballistic has one out at the moment where it's mm. smack on the front. Um, so we have talked about that, you know. I, yeah, again, it's like, does that offend people? Is it a good educational piece? Do people actually care? Um, I don't know. I'd be very curious. That's current debate. I know what, that was an interesting thing, actually, because we won the review um, for the Amber um, we used previously. Uh, and we did get a sales spike on that, on the trophy. Um, but the milk set, I don't think year to year we sold anymore. And I think that might have been uh, a big fact that a lot of other people put out milk sets as well. So I think we're just a little bit ahead of our time on style. And six years ago, there were two or three milk stouts running around and, and, and milk porter maybe. Um, and then probably last year, there was more like 50. Clint Weaver, who, uh, shout out to Clinton. If anyone's read The Australian today, uh, they would have seen a, a pretty cool write-up about Clint by Peter Laylor. Um, he says medals are tacky, but they work. <laughs> so, did Clint do the ballistic labels? Uh, I don't know if he did or not. Well, he did uh, co-conspirators. Justine Charles says, the medals increase awareness of certain brands, but everyone here already knows how good Exit is, so medals on the can not required. Awesome. Thank you, Justine. Justine, that's a, a bold statement. Everyone knows. Everyone. <laughs> everyone, everyone who knows everyone. Justine knows that. I mean, you know, <laughs> Justine's letting everyone know. Important people know. So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I think, look, sorry, and apologies, I'll just be really quick, Luke, but if I'm um, not sure while I was getting my beer, if you guys mentioned this, but one of the, in terms of the practicalities, say, about, you know, showing that you win. So one of the great things is when, if you do win one of these trophies, um, the AIBA give you, um, I guess, the right to use uh, the, the, the like the metal logos and everything and that on your pot, on your products and everything. The issue that we have is that, well, any brewery has that wins things like this is that generally their cans are either already printed up or labels are already printed up as they are. So you're either looking at 
getting a bunch of stickers printed up that you then have to hand label on every single can or you somehow have a thing that runs through that will, you know, put it on the same spot or you have to print up a bunch of new cans with the actual, um, you know, metals on or whatever and that sort of thing. So the practicality of delivering that to the, the shelf, if you like, you know, so that people say, oh, that one's got a gold medal on it. That must be better. Um, that makes it that makes it difficult for the um, the product itself as well. So, um. it's it's fascinating and, and it's something I just think of, I you know I'm always kind of thinking of is is here translating the the medals to sales or the medals to to market awareness because even the concept of a beer competition is alien to so many people. Mm. I know, like Monica said that her mum buys her wine based on based on that, but like I've never overheard that. In any bottle shop ever, so in the yeah, in the beer industry, you mean the people that know that you've won the award probably don't care about it, and the people that don't aren't aware probably don't care either. It's yeah, weird- that's that's actually uh, that's actually a really I think accurate and a really good summary statement about it. That's that's absolutely so you're right. saying it's, it's not worth doing these things then, Dave. I wouldn't even submit it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, D- Dave, uh, competitions also pay, <laughs> speaking of IBA, a big part of my wage. Yeah. It's a great night out. We get a great dinner, loads of beers, and, and, and it's nice to celebrate afterwards. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, and I think competitions, you know, essentially a big part of it is to get that honest feedback. Yeah, absolutely. As, as a brewery. I was, uh, was going to say that. Hendo always said, you need to submit it. The judges will give you... Um, uh, Technical review of your beer and pick up anything you've missed and all kinds of stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, and getting getting an award on top of that that you can say we actually did pretty good. I think that's you know that's a that's a thrill in itself. Or um, that you're making gosh. a beer that's true to style because, like Grum always says, our IPA is never going to win an award because it doesn't tick the boxes on the. Yeah, never, it? never, never released a West Coast IPA style category. Um. So what do you, and, have you tried and got feedback? Um, yep, and they usually, and, and often we'll get stuff like it's unbalanced, which it is, and that's what a West Coast IPA is. Mind you, Hawker's West Coast IPA did win um, a trophy last year. I'm not sure how they managed that. Um, that, that actually may have come to, similar to the Milk Stout, the first four or five years, um, we got medals, but I don't think we'd ever got a gold medal for the Milk Stout before. Um, and then last year we got the trophy. Um, and I think that might be a shift in um, just understanding of the beer style and palate. So hmm. um, maybe going forward, there might be a chance of the IPA winning something. But um, I think quite often we'll get feedback coming back from people who don't understand the style well enough or are too focused on the description saying this is what it should be. And yeah, technically a West Coast IPA is too high in IBU and not enough malt to be able to balance it. And so if you look at the, you know, the whole technical background of brewing, it is an unbalanced beer, which is rule number one, don't do it. But people love it. So. Did you say that there's no category for West Coast IPA at the AIB? That's correct. There is a, there's an East Coast or a Nipah style. Uh, that came in very quickly, but they never created a West Coast IPA. Oh, there'll be style. there'll be a milkshake style now, and uh, <laughs> you know, an eighty percent lactose style, and uh, you know, throw a bunch of rotten fruit into a barrel style IPA. But uh, God forbid, West Coast IPA becoming a style. Who who would want that? So it comes but under. It's it, like legit crazy, right? It comes yeah. under 
it was it New World IPA or IPA New World or something like that, isn't it? So what else comes under New World IPA though? Everything. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty broad, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, it's been ages since I looked at it. It seems uh, like one of the most obvious ones to, to have because it really is like, I mean, for want of a better phrase, it really is like a, a style unto itself. Like, and a West Coast, like a good West Coast IPA is never going to fall in the category of IPA or I guess New World IPA. Mm. And that's why the double IPA has got a much better chance of being awarded because it's far better balanced. You know, the, technically the bitterness is higher and there's more hops in it. No one perceives that because there's got, there's malt balance to you know, make it, um, yeah, I guess balance it and, and not offend your palate. Um, I guess hops are something that is something that people grow accustomed to and the more you have them, the more you crave them. Mm. So you, you get to that silly level of, yes, I want a West Coast IPA where I just want nothing but hops in my mouth. It, doing um, doing stewarding awards, it's quite fascinating. You know, you, you walk past and you kind of eavesdrop uh, knowing what the beers are and you, I don't know if I might even say this, but um, and you, you, it depends on the beer that's before it as well. Like if, yes. if, if a brewery gets... You know, if there's three faulty beers and your West Coast IPA comes out, people are going to be like, hell yeah, this is exactly what I've been looking for, rather than those three faulty ones I just had. But then if they've had, you know, three kind of down the line, quite balanced ones, and then your one, it's going to be quite jarring. Um, so, yeah, it, it matters where you form the lineup as well, I think. Yeah. I think there's a lot, but you're right, Luke. I think there's a lot of factors like that. At least, I guess, I think in the judging, at least if you're getting a round table of an independent thing from that, if it was two people doing it or one one person doing it, then that kind of thing. But at least if you're getting the six to eight, but I totally get you. I mean, it's the same as like when we've all been on sessions. You'll, you know, if you if you going somewhere, you try three or four different beers, and the first three you have it are not to your palate or they taste like shit or they've got flaws in them. And then you have something like you pick up a, an Orval or a Saison DuPont and you go, this is the greatest beer in the history of mankind, mm. um, which might be partially true as well, but it's like it, equally it's going to, you know. There's an argument for Orval being the greatest beer. That's, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put a contrary opinion right now to you either. That's uh, no worries there. It was on my desert island list. Don't worry about that. Um, double IPA, uh, I've just poured it as well. As you said, it's it's darker. Um, I noticed on the can you mentioned, and I guess you mentioned this before, Monica. The four tasting notes attached to the little the the lines. I think that's cool. I really like that. Um, I don't think you need more than four tasting notes. I no. you don't need to write four paragraphs. Uh, I'm all for clear, clean information. Um, but can you tell us about you know what the approach is to making this double IPA and what makes it different, Grum? Um. Yes, it, 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 as a lot of our beers are, you call them sort of almost an old school style, um, and that it's a classic, um, balanced. Uh, it's funny when I say old school because I'm, I'm probably talking ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff was all bang edge ten years ago, but um, yeah, it's a bring out a nine percent beer with um, ridiculous amounts of hops and a hundred IBU and yeah. Um, that, that, that's pretty much what it is. It's about um, putting as much uh, as much hops as you can possibly put into a beer without making it offensive. Um, and then, because we already had 
the Wetco style IPA in our core range. We thought, well, we don't want to do a really pale double as well. We wanted to sort of, we, and part of what we do is to make a range of beers that cover a lot of different flavour profiles. <clears throat> so with the double, we've gone, we'll, we'll very much do a, a multi-year version of, the, of, of a double IPA. Um, give it that balance. It, um, it helps absorb the booziness. Um, and just makes it yeah, quite a quite a drinkable yet still full of flavour um, yeah, beverage. You- um, if um, if you can expand a little bit, I'm very interested in how you approach the malt bill of a beer like this because um, I had another similar like similarly specced beer last night um, that I did not enjoy uh, because of the malt uh, profile, but a like a comparable beer i'm loving this double ipa so how do you approach a malt uh, a malt bill where you want to achieve something a little bit more um meaty in that area but without making it yuck <laughs> awesome uh, thank thanks dave i appreciate that um look it's yeah then there is um there's a balance on your caramel so if you add too much um you can get almost an earthy dirty kind of so you've got to be very careful on that. And I think due to probably amber being my favourite style, uh, or a hoppy amber being my favourite style when I was homebrewing, I brewed that a lot. So I learnt to control the malts to give that nice caramel without overdoing it and not making it earthy um, and trying to avoid any sort of off flavour. So um, it's about using um, uh, quite a lot of Munich, which adds um, depth the flavour, but um, not as much sweetness, um, and then just a little bit of uh, crystal or, or um, caramalt, uh, which one gives it the colour, um, uh, and two gives it that little bit more. Um, uh, it's a mo- more modified malt. It gives you that little bit more sweetness on fermentation as well. Uh, sort of just gives that little bit of balance. But yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. If you overdo it, it becomes. Um, I guess flavors that cross over into a stout or something like that, where you get that either um, earthiness, earthiness, or even going further, charcoal or burnt or coffee, um, which doesn't often work as well if you're trying to put across the fruity hops. It's interesting because we used to talk a lot about crystal malt and IPAs um, when it was kind of you know pre Nipahs when everyone just ditched malt and just started <laughs> doing whatever. Um, and like, I'm not a huge fan of crystal malt and IPAs and the one that Dave was talking about that he didn't enjoy, I actually quite enjoyed and I'm really enjoying this one too. And I'm almost feeling like I want to get back into some of those, you know, a little bit maltier IPAs. Um, I don't know, there's almost triggering a memory of like, oh man, remember that time of, you know, 2015 <laughs> to 2016 when in every IPA was full of crystal malt. Uh, <laughs> that I had last night hit the nostalgia in a big way but then i realized that like i don't like i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this, guess, is, this is gorgeous as well um i, I agree with dave this i guess is really as, lovely. one of our gateway beers we're looking back at um the Dog hardcore which is probably one of the first double ipas we ever had mm-hmm. um and that was very much down there yeah, loads of loads of pretty loads of um, crystal malt um and huge amount of hops and i was like well like, yeah there's you know, an explosion in my mouth um I'd totally forgotten about that beer until you just said that, and you're exactly <laughs> exactly what it was. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember drinking. I remember drinking it, but I don't remember what it tastes like. Yeah, well, I, 
loving it, but it certainly was like a pretty hefty multi-hoppy assault though. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Graham's, well, we, we were living in the UK at the time and I actually, you know, and I'll, I'll put my hand up now and it's, it's, it's embarrassing, you know, now to sort of say in retrospect, but I, I was never into hops when I first sort of, you know, got into craft beer. I was like, oh, I was a bit scared of them, you know, sort of thing. It was like, you know, something too bitter in it too bitter and when we started you know and we obviously brewed over around and hardcore was one of their first beers um and i thought oh i really really i really like this um because it, as what Grum was saying earlier the balance was terrific between the malt and the hot and then when you actually read a little bit about it and found out to be this is actually supposedly the hoppiest beer that's ever been brewed in britain at the time um in you know theoretical ibus that was the that was the thing and whether that was I don't know, bullshit speak or whatever, I don't know. But it was like, it was like, oh, shit. So maybe I do like hops then, but it's it's more about... So it probably helped me get a, you know, personally get that, that shift to go, well, actually, it's not necessarily just purely about the, you know, whatever your, your IBUs are or whatever kind of thing. It's, it's about how the beer feels and tastes in your mouth and that sort of thing and that, that sort of thing. So... I think, you know, that was certainly, yeah, one, one thing that sort of triggered off probably both of us, but certainly me in a, in a balance sort of uh, format, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we came there as a different journey to a lot of people these days that we came through the Belgian route. We were drinking saisons and sours and, and um, spoons or doubles. Um, and yeah, the, the hoppy American style sort of seeped onto the scene um, in a more meaningful way. And that's when we were also learning to brew. Um, and so we've done a, a few batches of a couple of different things and we've done um, a, a basic lager and a, a English ale and then we did a brew, I think. And I remember the first IPA I tried to brew and it was terrible. <laughs> so we got IPAs full of hops and we, had, we didn't know what we were doing. We put all the hops in. We put in it's loads of hops way too early. Right at the morning. start, right at the start. It was like, yeah, it was, it was like 800 kilos of hops in a 20-litre brew. Well, that's what it seemed, yeah. seemed like at the time. And it was like, oh, yeah. this is going to be awesome. How good is this going to be? And I was like, no, this tastes like shit, actually. That's, uh, we probably uh, shouldn't do at that. At the time, there might have been a reason why we didn't like hops. Yeah, they may not have been done as well as they've been uh, refined to do. That's, um, that kind of touches on something that it's always frustrated me. People say IPAs are easy to brew. You just, you know, you throw all the hops and it covers up all the mistakes. Uh. And like that's so, that's so disrespectful to anyone that's ever um, brewed a good IPA. God, yeah, I've had so many bad IPAs that are full uh, of hops. <laughs> oh shit, yeah, absolutely. We've just ticked over coming up to an hour. Um, if anyone in the questions in the comments has any more questions, fire them off. Um, Dave, did you have anything you wanted to ask before we wrap up? Just, I mean, it's a weird time to ask, but what does the future look like? Do you think for Exit? Uh, I mean, we'll call it the next year or a couple of years, but I mean. What do you well, mean? It's, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna look like this because we spent so much time branding and we're not gonna change <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I think um, it's, yeah. Uh, the next year is gonna look pretty. Sim- no, God, well, hopefully not similar to this year. No, Jesus shut Christ. up, boss. Oh uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's gonna be freedom involved in it next year. Oh. We'll be out and about in the pubs, hopefully. Big festivals. We're gonna festivals. Uh, big events. It'll be great. Yeah, we're, I, think I think we're going to um, do a big song and dance when we can finally leave. Yeah, look, look, I think it's just, it's probably, you know, we're, we're probably similar to a lot of breweries, you know, out and about at the moment in, in the industry. I mean, it's it's like, you know, and, and look, 
COVID and the whole lockdown thing, it's been, it, it fucking sucks for everyone. I mean, let, let's face it across the board. It's so, but in some ways, what these things do, and getting back to what you were saying before, Dave, potentially about the, the liquor licensing and changing things, sometimes what you can do and you can look towards these things in a positive light is say, look, it's actually got, we, we, it's kind of like it's levelled everything. It's got it to ground zero and go, right, okay, we as an industry and the people that support us, whether it's in government, whatever, that make the regulations go, hey, if we want this um, industry and not just the brewing industry, but any industry to actually evolve and, and survive and thrive going forward, we need to make adjustments and that, that kind of thing going forward. So I think um, it's going to be, we're, we're, as a brewery, we're going to have to adapt and go, and go, okay, well, what is it we could do and actually take advantage of some sort of things going forward. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, look, there's been a lot of people that have supported us and smaller businesses. So I think one of the real positives that have come out of um, the whole sort of COVID and lockdown thing is that there's been a lot of, it, it's brought home to people that um, we, could, we could lose the, I guess the small business factor, if you like, across not just not just Richmond, not just Brunswick, not just Collingwood, Fitzroy, Footscray, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia as a whole. And one of the great things I've always been as a, as a proud Victorian and Melbourneian is I've always loved the fact that you know Melbourne and and typically Australia in a lot of ways has a really really good thriving independent scene, whether that's music, whether that's beer, whether that's wine, whether that's spirits, whether it's different cafes and everything. Um, I look at our bar right now where we are now and right next door to us, we have a fantastic cafe um, with really, really good coffee in it. Well, depending on what happens government-wise and everything, we're one step away from this being essentially a dive bar bought by a major corporation brewery um, and next door is one step away from being a Starbucks. So this is about the battle for a, a soul, if you like, of, um, of going forward. Because once you become a thing like a, a, an area of like where things are like your Starbucks or you just your, 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 your generic crap, well, personally, I go, well, I don't really want to live in an area. Like, like there's nothing that then attracts me to it. So I go, at the moment, I think, so I think, one of the things going forward is just like, look, let's let's look at this from a okay, let's let's really dig in here and really, you know, bring out some sort of creativity and positivity about right. Let's support local, let's support independent, let's 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 move forward in that way. And I have no idea what that makes any sense at all to do with the future of exit or anything. In fact, it's just a typical phrase of rant to finish things <laughs> off. But you know, so it's a lot of bullshit. But anyway, but anyway, look, we all, we hope to obviously, you know. Um, be able to get through. We, we love our new rebrand. We think we think it's definitely going to be a positive, um, long-term thing. You know, going forward on the on the shelves and at a retail um, thing. And uh, you know, we 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 love the fact that you know so many people have supported us since we started. And and we you know obviously wanting to win over and are winning over more people going forward. So yeah, it's yeah just... I, I think um, I think my concern is um, with the brewing industry in general, um, the very capital-intensive. Uh, endeavor. So a lot of small breweries do have um, uh, loans and issues to deal with, and shutdowns like this really hurt. So um, it's, uh, but on the 
a plus side for the economy going forward. If if these companies can survive and um, they employ far more people, the leader of the produced than the big guys. Um, so I think it's a win-win for the country. Um, a more people employed, um, and yeah. Um, oh, your your uh, your rant, which I certainly wouldn't call a rant. I think it was a, a an amazing amazing point, well made. Uh, people are people are agreeing that yeah, <laughs> well said. Phrase is basically the theme in the comments. Um, someone uh, Sunday says Steve uh, up there, and I think he's in Brisbane. Queensland. Yeah, in Queensland. Yeah. Good day, Steve. Um, How are you, Steve? Asking if uh, Mr. Rickard uh, has got your cans up there. He does. Uh, up there, yes. He does. Awesome. So, so, so Hassel, Dan, what's, what's yeah. he doing? Get on, come on, Dan. Come, come on, Dan. They've been up there for like a day now, Dan. Come yeah, on. <laughs> come on. Steve, uh, get on to him. So, so distribution in Queensland, where else can people get the beers? So here in Victoria, we've got our lovely friends at Fizz and Hop, Grape and Grain, Beer 360, Outgang, um... My local, Carwin, obviously, yeah, my local here at the end of the street, Burke Street Cellars, a few others. And then First Choices, there's the First Choice liquor markets that have just picked them up. So that's like Taronga, Ashburton, Baldwin, Ringwood, Bentley, and another. Um, Yeah, and then they've gone interstate. So we've got Taps and Tazzy at the moment now. Yeah. I mean, the kegs flew out the door, which we were kind of surprised. We only did a small batch of kegs, obviously, because we were... I didn't even get a keg here. No. <laughs> I can't eat. So we open it, so I can't have our IPA on tap here in a couple of... I need to speak to management. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you their number. Yeah, okay. Um, Sorry. Um, yeah, so the kegs have flown out the door. Dan Rickard in Queensland has quite a few. WA took a lot, so... Awesome. That's one of the cool things, talking to breweries and, and how many kegs are being sold interstate now. Everyone's just been like, that's been a real, a real boost. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't believe cool. it. Like, yeah, we literally, I mean, we did a very, very small production of kegs compared to what we normally would. But it was kind of just like, oh, we should probably do a few. And yeah, they just, I mean, the distributors took them all. So yeah, phrase, lo siento. Um, awesome. Uh, oh, this has been great. This is uh, really, really thanks so much for joining us. And I guess being honest as well about the rebrand and, and how it's all gone. That's been a really cool chat. Um, how do people keep up with all things Exit? Follow us at, at Exit Brewing on Facebook and Instagram. Go to our website, www.exitbrewing.com and join the newsletter. Um, send emails to Graham. Just tell them what you think. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call Especially, the Especially if you think the beer is shit. Yeah. Tell, tell, yeah, tell him. But if he responds to you, don't call the phone number in his signature because apparently it's um, not I, his number. <laughs> I have updated that. Um, and I, I didn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. Our gang bar in Richmond, people can stop in for some takeaways. And Did you say $10 a litre tap beer? Yeah, that's it. Well, we've got about, well, we've got 12 taps, but we're down to 11. We're going to be down to nine tomorrow because we've only got a litre left of two of the beers, um, which it includes a couple of, well, a double IPA, various IPAs, our Belgian stout that we did as well. Um, so 10 bucks a litre. So yeah, out gang bar, not that you'll be able to. So, but 406 Bridge Road, uh, dot com. Great. Um, that's a, yeah, if, you're, if that's in your 5K, 
you'd be crazy not to go down. Hearing, hearing the words Belgian stout and seeing the weather cloud over outside, it's like, mm. sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. It's, still, uh, it's still sunny in Frankston. So. I'll, I'll, I'll go and get some saison. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of people also saying how good the saison event was as well. So uh, when we're back up, more saison events. Maybe this time Absolutely. next year we can be drinking saison at an event. Yeah, totally. Game. When we get that barrel-aged uh, lactose-ridden, um, you know, sour <laughs> fruit number kind of thing, saison going, yeah, absolutely. That's we'll totally uh, we'll right. that. Don't knock barrel-aged fruit. Didn't you hear the whole thing? We have you? one. It's like a Twitter thing. You pick the first twenty characters of what I said, and like I did this. I was it was a mock piss take, as if anyone's going to do brew something like that with that. Shit. I know, but we do have a barrel-aged apricot sour coming. No, out. there's nothing wrong with a barrel-aged yeah, apricot we, sour. That's fine. I'm not. I like I'm, how- I'm going to like, focus I'm less put, on the barrel age, more on the lactose. I like lactose. how the lactose straight, lactose. I'm going to put the lactose straight in the bright tank. So. Yeah, that's what we want. Nice and sweet so that we can, can't taste anything beer related in it. That's what you want. <laughs> I like how this fight has uh, accidentally announced a, a fun beer. Well, uh, <laughs> barrel aged apricot saison sounds pretty damn good. No, sour. Apricot sour. Sour, sorry. Yeah, um, so we did the apricot sour this time last year, October, November. Jeez. Yep. And yeah, so Grum had a few barrels um, at the brewery. So he's put the sour, the left, the, how, how many did you do? Like five barrels? Sorry, two barrels. Two. Okay, sorry. Two so. And then added, yeah. Brit- did you, you added Brett to it, didn't you? Yeah. So they're. I did. Brett infected. Yep. For a while, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Those, those are being kegged next week. Right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Y- yes. <laughs> Maybe. Don't, it's, on, don't. it's on my, it's on my <laughs> list of things to do. Now, before we wrap up, uh, did, did I ask you, Dave, where to find you? No. At Mel Dave on Twitter. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Dave at aleofatime.com to email him. If you want to um, email him through. Luke, you. Aleofatime.com for all things uh, me. Uh, Ale of a Time on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I've, so launched I've, a, I've launched a news. Sorry. What's going on with Hypothetical Institute? Oh, uh, we just did an episode about Australian and New Zealand UFOs, which was great. Right. If you want to listen to some conspiracy stuff that's not, Shit, yeah. it's not the news, it's not Donald Trump, we've got you covered. We're ah, trying our best. It's, 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 hang on, it's not Donald Trump and it's not Daniel Andrews. Yeah. Jeez, what Where do we, we talk about? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We, but it's we, got UFOs in it. We're really trying to, to do, so we did Alien Autopsy recently. Uh, previous one, we just did Animal Spies, famous spies that were also animals. Um, and then the last one is UFOs. Uh, Why do I only just know about this now? It's like, this, is, this is like... There's 100, 150-odd episodes of a conspiracy podcast for you to catch up on. Oh, now. my God. Fucking hell. What's, the, what's, what's the cool I've got to follow you on this. this the, uh, the hyper time. time. The Hypothetical Institute. Uh, hypothetical Institute, all right. No, this is good. Now, by me feed. saying Hypothetical Institute, when I watch this back tomorrow, this is like me making notes for myself. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't even have to type it down now. Um, I've also just <laughs> yeah. launched a bit of a, a news show um, on Thursdays uh, on Facebook and, and this channel on YouTube, if you're watching on the YouTube. The news uh, on Thursday? What did you call it? I think I just called it Thursday Beer News with Luke. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, yeah. <laughs> just, just, I, I tried to come up with like a fun name and I'm like, Ugh, just call it what it is. Yeah, perfect. Uh, which is like the branding, just put exactly what not. it is on the label and then people know exactly what it is. Yeah. How things should just be communicated. Get to the point. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah, check that out. Follow this uh, the Beer Together YouTube channel or Facebook. Uh, I'll put it up there. Uh, and Brewery, send me your news. Uh, uh, right now, it's a bit of a recap, but I'll be I'll be yeah doing bits and pieces on a Thursday. So tune in for that. We're sending you send in old beers as well. Send yeah. me old beers, please. Send me your vintage stock. Oh, yeah. Aussie um, ghosts. I'm just looking at your um. Your oh, the, the Aussie ghost one. Things like. The Aussie ghost one. Um, there's a famous haunted house in New South Wales, uh, oh. and one, one of the TripAdvisor reviews complained about the beehive because there was a whole section of the house was taken over by bees. So people would go on the ghost oh. tour, and they'd be like, "You can't go in there because of the bees." That's so funny. Wow. It's like sort your bee problem out. <laughs> um, Sunday, Sunday sesh. Steve says, uh, "Great show," and so thanks, Steve. Um, both Isle of a Time and Exit were two of the things that grew his passion for beer. So, lovely oh, thing um, to awesome. hear from Steve. Um, Sunday Thank sesh. You, Steve. Uh, if you look up the Sunday, the Sunday Sesh in your podcast apps, you'll find his podcast as well. Uh, I think he's overdue for his last one was September, so he's overdue. Uh, get onto it, Steve. Anyway, um, everything. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us in the chat, and we'll be back in a fortnight's time. Thanks very much for having us. Cheers, thanks, guys. guys. Cheers, Luke. Awesome much. work. Thanks, Dave. <laughs>